Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. Beginning in verse 1 to review, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Now that was the end of verse 10. There are 14 verses in Psalm 27, and we'll look at the final four verses today which say this, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Verse number 11, David asked God to teach him his way and to lead him in a plain path because of his enemies, because of David's enemies. It was a petition for God to remove obstacles and hindrances to the path God had for him. That's what the plain path means. Lead me in a plain path. Teach me thy way. This is language that is oft repeated here in Psalms, and we've seen it already, but that's just David's burning desire to know the will of God, for it to be plain and clear to him. Reveal it, he said. Teach it to me, he said. He was looking for that plain path. Next verse, in verse 12, he says, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Now, this is always the prayer. This is the prayer of, of any person for themselves to deliver me from mine enemies, Lord. And here's the uh, condition, or not the condition, but the, the, the reason, the justification why I'm asking for this. It's because I've not done anything wrong. That's what he's saying in verse 12. False witnesses are risen up against me. In other words, they're my enemies for no good reason. They're not after me to exercise righteous judgment upon me for a sin that I've done. They're false witnesses. They're cruel. They breathe out cruelty. So, Lord, therefore, deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies. Now, that's always the prayer. Lord, protect us today. But we have to remember that God is sovereign. People are still falsely accused when they've done nothing wrong, and God allows it. 
sometimes today. You can see it. You probably know somebody. Perhaps you are that somebody. Falsely accused, done nothing wrong, and God allowed it to go ahead. And sometimes it seems as if the enemy has prevailed. But you have to remember that God is sovereign. And God answers prayers in a way different sometimes than we ask them. We ask God for uh, a very specific request. Then God knows what we mean by that, and he sees beyond that and answers our request fully, but not in a way that we were looking to do. For example, we have a friend that was murdered this week. He was martyred as a missionary in the Middle East. And his prayer was that he would be able to see, um, well, specifically 12 uh, Muslim men come to Christ as a result of his ministry. Now, I don't know if he got to 12. I don't think he did yet. However, his number one, that man's number one goal in life was to see uh, Muslim people in his particular country where he was ministering to, to see them saved. And we could say God hasn't answered his request because God allowed this person to be given over to the will of this person's enemies, satanic enemies. And we could say the enemy is one, but God is sovereign. I think of Jesus. Jesus, if anybody was ever falsely accused, it was the Lord. And yet God the Father allowed that to happen. God delivered, allowed the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be delivered over to the will of his enemies. And it might look like, at just a glance, if you didn't know the whole story, that the enemy had won. But in reality, the will of God was accomplished uh, unwittingly by the enemies of Christ. When the will of the enemy, so to speak, you could say, was accomplished there against Christ, It opened the way of salvation, which was really the prayer of Jesus Christ. He knew what he was doing. Of course, he knew what he was doing. Um, But God answered in a way that was much more full than maybe you you and I might be looking at in just that day. We'd say, "How, how would God allow his son to be killed? It's not fair. Well, what did the Lord want? Above all, Jesus wanted the salvation of men, and he wanted to do the will of God, the will of his Father, God the Father. And that was accomplished. I think of Stephen, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And when he was martyred there in the book of Acts, a young man by the name of Saul was there. And he held the coats as they stoned him. And this man was breathing out slaughterings and threatenings against the church. And it would look like Stephen was given over to the enemy there. But what was Stephen's burning desire? If he was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, it was to do the will of God and to see people saved. And as a result of Stephen's testimony and Stephen's witness, one result was that the Apostle Paul received Christ as his Savior, and he was formerly known as Saul. He was that young man. I'm not saying that Stephen was the only reason, but certainly Saul, later named Paul, had the image of a Stephen full of faith and of the Holy Ghost looking up towards heaven with his face as it had been an angel as he was stoned being falsely accused. And I say that to think back to this missionary who was just recently martyred this very week, that his burning desire, his one goal in life, his passion was to do the will of God and to see people saved, to see a dozen Muslim men come to Christ. And you never know sometimes when it seems as though the enemy has won, 
really God is using things that you and I wouldn't recognize or pick or things that you and I would say are bad to accomplish his purposes. He does that. But David was praying nonetheless that he would be protected from his enemies. But always remember, listener, that God is sovereign. The last two verses of this chapter are what I referred to a couple of days ago as some gems in this chapter. There are some little nuggets that you find while you're kicking around the scripture that are just so unbelievable and they just stand on their own so well for an encouraging verse. Now, there might be every single one of these verses are encouraging and helpful, and there might have been one that you uh, listened to this week and said, that's the one for me. Well, verse number 13 might be one of those verses. Verse number one to me is that verse. Number four is that verse. And verses 13 and 14 both to wrap up today, this chapter, chapter 27, both. Verse 13 says, I had fainted, that means quit, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, what a gem. David said he would have quit. He was going to quit unless he had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The land of the living is the opposite of Sheol. It's this side of life. It's not death. It's this side of eternity. It's what you and I see as we look around. This is the land of the living. Okay. We're in the land of the living. In the morning, when you're trying to get ready for school, your mom would come in and wake you up and she'd say, welcome to the land of the living. And she'd wake you up. Okay. It's kind of like that. <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit more, uh, all of life until uh, sleeping and waking until you get to glory. But the land of the living, when you look around in the land of the living, sometimes you can get really discouraged. And you, you could say, like we've kind of been saying so far, well, one day we'll understand it better. By and by when the morning comes, one day life is going to be good and farther along we'll know all about it. And so, and we're, we're, in other words, life is terrible until one day we get to heaven. But that's not the case at all. You see, David would have quit. If the only time anything would have made sense or any time you would have been able to get a blessing or to see the goodness of God would have been the land of the dying, would have been the resurrection, that side of eternity. But it's available now. He said, I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, God is not just good in eternity. He'll not just be good one day. He's good right now, right now. And you have to believe that and then you'll recognize it. I'd fainted unless... I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God is good now. Uh, it, you'll quit unless you believe that God is all God now. His characteristic of goodness is uh, active right now, not just someday. He's all good now, and he is good now. The goodness and grace of God is so overwhelming all around us. The, it, it, it's, we're dripping with the goodness of God. It's everywhere. And if you have trouble recognizing it, you have a problem with faith. You're not believing to see it. You're not recognizing it. And when you believe it and then you see it, God gives you praise. And it also believing and seeing the goodness of God, it gives you patience, which leads us lastly to verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God's timing is seldom our timing. But if you and I are going to believe that God is good, and I hope that you do, then we're going to be satisfied with what God does and when he does it. 
When it says wait on the Lord, that means waiting expectantly. It means fully anticipating that God will perform. The theological word book of the Old Testament says this about that term. Waiting with steadfast endurance is a great expression of faith. It means enduring patiently in confident hope that God will decisively act for the salvation of his people. Waiting involves the very essence of a person's being, his soul. Those who wait in true faith are renewed in strength so that they can continue to serve the Lord while looking for his saving work. There will come a time when all that God has promised will be realized and fulfilled. In the meantime, the believer survives by means of his integrity and uprightness as he trusts in God's grace and power. His faith is strengthened through his testings, and his character is fully developed. And as we wait on the Lord, we are to be of good courage, courage not in myself but in God. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Again, your heart is strengthened not from you but from God. When you wait on the Lord and you receive good courage from the Lord and he strengthens your heart, you'll be strong, not weak. You'll be courageous, not fearful. You'll be encouraged, not discouraged. You'll be joyful, not defeated. When I wait on the Lord, I can be of good courage. When I wait on the Lord, he will strengthen my heart. And so, listener, I say to you today, wait on the Lord.